Welcome to Grace Church, everyone. It's good to see you all here on this cold Sunday morning. You know, the weather may be cold outside, but the presence of God is warm and inviting no matter where you are, if you're here or if you're watching at home. But we thank you for being here, and we ask that you stand this morning with us as we worship God together. Chains are broken, you have spoken. It is finished on the cross. Now I'm living in your freedom. Jesus, you have set me free.
praise the Lord this morning, Grace Church. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Sister Farrell announced last Sunday that beginning on March 7th at 10 a.m., Sunday school will again be part of the Grace Church experience. I'm real happy about that. It is my great pleasure this morning to announce that we will also be reinstating our 10 a.m. adult classes, which I have been greatly uh, blessed in being able to teach. We're going to be, begin those at 10 a.m. that Sunday morning right here in the main auditorium. This class will be open to all ages. If you're an adult, by all means, come on up. 18 years and older, please be here. Uh, it, and we will concentrate on a, a systematic approach to discipleship, uh, which will encompass biblical and apostolic doctrine so that we can transition from a familiarity with our beliefs to a place of fluency. This will hopefully allow us to articulate our faith with confidence to those who need to hear it. We will also learn how to effectively incorporate what we learn into our lives. Church is more about just hearing it. It's about incorporating it and doing it in our lives so that we can become fruitful in our Christian walk as well as faithful. And finally, we will also learn how to distinguish between sound biblical fact and modern false teaching. I hope to see you here. I'm very excited to begin this again. It just doesn't seem the same without our 10 a.m. 10 a.m. classes. God bless you. You know, we are, we are here this morning. Uh, it seems like Louisiana has decided to give us all of our winter in three days. So I'm glad y'all are here. Uh, we're very thankful that you are here. We're glad if you're joining us on live stream. Yeah, we are very blessed this morning. There's a few things I need to go over with you. Monday, February 15th at 7.14, we are, of course, continuing our United Family prayer time at home. However, Tuesday, February 16th, the morning uh, prayer will be dismissed because of this extremely inclement weather. Sunday, February 21st, we will have a blood drive for Mike Tomlinson at 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Please sign up at Grand Central. Your donation will be greatly appreciated. And Friday, February 26th, we will have a night of worship with worship leader Tim LeBlanc at 7.30 p.m. I'm especially excited about that. Do you love the Lord this morning? You know, I know that we came here with a lot of needs and, and things we'd like to tell God about and, and things we, we would like help with. But, Brian, the first thing we need to do is we need to worship God. We need to spend the next few minutes not worrying about what God's going to do for us, but to, but to thank Him and show Him appreciation for what He's already done. Our God is great, and He deserves the praise and the worship of His people. Lift your hands and your voices to God this morning. God bless you. is greater you light our way god you light our way when evil is rising you're rising higher with power to save with power to save you keep hope alive you keep hope alive from the beginning to Because you are alive, Jesus, you are alive. 
just want to be with you. Just want to be with you.
comments about the night of worship that we're hosting here on Friday, February the 26th. Starts at 7.30. We are navigating a vision for this service. There's a lot of thought, there's a lot of planning that's going into this service as we've announced. It's not a concert. It's not going to be preaching. It's not for entertainment, but we're anticipating, we're asking the Lord to be here that Friday night in a mighty way. Um, we would like for all of Grace Church to be here on Friday night, February the 26th. The praise team sang a song a number of months ago that talked about when heaven comes down to earth, when God comes down to earth, that I want to be in the middle of that. I want to be in between where that intersection happens. I want to be where God comes down and because when he does, amazing things happen. Uh, the presence of God it will manifest itself as we are open, as we're willing to respond as we're willing to give, to give our hearts to it. And I'm confident to tell you today that God's going to be here Friday night, February the 26th. And if we're here and our hearts and minds are open, God can do some amazing things. God will do some amazing things. So I'm asking you to come, not to sit back and be entertained. It's, it's going to be even more than what we just experienced here. Uh, there's there's a there's an effort here. There's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of focus that we would love to see miracles happen Friday night on our night of worship. We want God to show up in such a way that cancers heal, uh, blind eyes could be open, people could get out of their wheelchairs. We talk about this all the time. You, the Bible said you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and that is true. But you don't. That power's not manifested until it's released. Just being in you, it's, it's one thing, but when you release it, then it impacts the lives of others. And we're anticipating a strong and powerful manifestation of the Holy Ghost on that night. So we're asking you all to come to do some praying and fasting beforehand. Again, we don't want to entertain you with harmony and instruments and all of that. That's not the point. If you come for that, that's not the point. We want you to feel free to jump to your feet and to lift your hands and to lift your face. We want you to feel free to get out in the aisle. We want you to feel free to turn your faith loose. We want you to feel free to turn your praise loose. And just let the Lord have his way. Thank the Lord. Just to bask in his presence, we're asking you to bring your friends, your family, uh, people who are maybe unchurched that don't go to church. It would be a great opportunity to introduce them to Grace Church. So 
We're asking you to join us to participate, not to be a spectator, but to be a participator in what is going to be a great, great night, an amazing night in the presence of the Lord. And everybody said amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. I love Brother Dave Bunch. He's committed to the kingdom. He's committed to the word. He loves Grace Church. He loves the things of God. Would you welcome him as he comes to preach here this morning? Thank the Lord. Well, praise the Lord, Grace Church. Can we clap our hands one more time to Jesus? Oh, I appreciate the presence of the Lord that's in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It is great to see everyone here this morning along with Pastor and Brother Ben. Welcome. It does feel good to be in a nice, warm church environment on a cold Sunday morning, doesn't it? Amen, amen. I appreciate so much the presence of God that I feel in this place. And as always, the praise team sets a platform, sets a stage for the Word of God. And today is no exception and will be no exception. Last Sunday, Pastor preached one of the most prolific presentations I've ever heard on the love of God on Calvary, the love of Jesus. And it was moving just to tears, moving beyond words, I thought. Today, in, in some ways, I would like to follow that in, in some manner of speaking by presenting to us the urgency of taking advantage of the love of God that is being extended to us. The, the opportunity we have for Jesus to remember us in this hour, in this moment that we live, must be taken advantage of and it must be done very quickly and with urgency. Um, last uh, December 2019, last December would be a year, I was at my desk working, doing just my daily work and routine and God began to deal with me very forcefully and very strongly about this message then is over a year ago and I felt very strongly then that it was a message for our young people for our students uh, even for for our children our young adults and that was in December 2019 January of 2020 pastor spent the entire month preaching along this line teaching along this line and I thought, well, pastor's done a pretty good job of covering it. I don't think uh, he needs me to, to help him in any, in any meaningful way. So I'll just save it for later. And then 2020, with all of its events, it just never seemed right. But over the last six to eight weeks or so, God has been really pounding my spirit with this message. And I believe today is the day. And I am, I am, I am a, it's for everybody, including the man in the pulpit, but especially our students, especially our young adults, I want you to understand that we do live in perilous times. And Jesus said, when you see these signs, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Amen. So one more time before we turn to the word of God, would you just pray that God would help us in the remainder of this service? Jesus, I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your word. Lord, it, it guides us. It leads us. It, it navigates us through perilous times. And I pray that, that today would be no different, that you would have your preeminence and that your kindness and your love would lead us to a closer walk with you today before all is said and done in Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated today. 
It was an epoch of human history, not unlike the day in which we currently live. Humanity was moving forward with its godless agenda at a rapid pace. Knowledge was increasing at an unparalleled rate. Humans were becoming more sophisticated by the day. And it really seemed as though there was nothing that humanity could not achieve if they just put their mind to it. Insight and understanding was increasing at formidable levels. Great buildings were being built. Great cities and cultural centers were being established. And humans began dreaming that darkest of all dreams. That given enough time and given enough experience, they could become like God. And as if in silent answer to that salacious aspiration, even as they excelled in scientific progress and cultural sophistication, they also began to sin at levels previously unimagined. Immorality ran unchecked. Violence filled the earth at unprecedented amounts. Corruption from the earth went up unto God like a stench. In fact, we're told in Scripture that their wickedness was so great on the earth that every imagination of their heart and thoughts was on evil and wickedness continually. And it was into this sordid mixture of human intellect and human propensity for sin that we are introduced to a man named Noah. Just nine generations from Adam, Noah was a man who seemed out of step with his times. Yet he was God's man. And over the din of cultural voices that cried out incessantly and clamored for his attention, Noah tuned his spiritual ears and his spiritual eyes to the frequency on which God was speaking. Noah, that great preacher of righteousness, heard the voice of God in his times and in his culture. And he understood and heard very clearly that God was going to send judgment on the earth. So repelled was God by what was going on in the earth that Moses records in his book we call Genesis that God actually repented for making humans in the first place. And God told Noah, Noah heard very clearly, I'll spare you if you'll build an ark and put your family on that ark. And when the rains begin to fall and when the flood waters begin to rise, you and your family will be saved. My question for you today is what motivated Noah to take action that was in direct contrast with the wisdom and cultural understanding of his day? What gave him the capacity to trust the voice of a God he had not seen and to anticipate an event which had never happened before? Was it his faith? Was it his righteousness? The writer of Hebrews is very clear in Hebrews eleven seven, writing, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Noah was righteous, but it wasn't his righteousness that moved him. He loved his family, but it wasn't concern for his family that moved him. No doubt he had instincts of self-preservation 
But it wasn't his desire to live that moved him. The scripture says he was moved by fear or moved with fear. Noah was afraid of something he had never seen. The Bible does say by faith, Noah. It was by faith. And implicit in that statement is that he had to have faith to believe that God was speaking truth and that it would come to pass like God said it would. But once Noah settled that in his spirit and believed the word of God, it caused him to tremble. Noah realized a very important reality and a very important truth that if I truly believe what God is telling me, And if I truly believe it's going to happen the way God said it is going to happen, then I have cause to walk soberly and circumspectly. I have cause to tremble and I have cause to be moved for the saving of my family and of my household. It was his fear that moved him to do something, namely the preparing of an ark to the saving of his house. I'm thankful this morning that where the scripture is clear that Noah was moved by fear. The scripture is clear about a very unrighteous generation. The scripture is clear about a flood that destroyed all of humankind except Noah and his family. The Bible also says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to know that it was God's grace that... He was moved by fear. It was grace that saved him. And God is still extending grace to you and to me. We live in a dispensation called grace. The praise team just sang about the hope we have every morning, the hope we have every evening, and it's the hope and the grace and the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. No fear was a popular mantra of the 1990s. Bumper stickers and t-shirts displayed mostly by young men who used it as a badge of honor, asserting their intention to back down from nothing. Yet it was too serious of a statement to be casually dismissed, and many wondered if we were moving into a cultural reality absent of fear of any kind, including fear of authority, fear of any kind of consequences, and even absent the fear of destruction. It is apparent to me over the course now of 30 plus years that indeed people have at least implicitly adopted a no fear slogan as a theme of their lives. Movies, TV shows, book series, hawking horror and fright as entertainment have desensitized us to the extent that fear is sought after only for its entertainment value alone. But I stand on solid biblical authority today when I say true godly fear has a place in our lives and should be one of the, one of the guiding forces in our decisions and our pursuit of holiness and in our walk with God. Titus wrote, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, see then, I'm sorry, Paul wrote to Titus and said that. Paul also wrote to the Ephesians, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Jude it was that wrote, others save with Fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh.
Luke writes in Acts chapter 5 that after Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost and had their life extinguished in a moment, the early church, he writes, great fear came on all them that heard these things. The psalmist wrote in chapter 2, serve the Lord with fear. He wrote again in 119, establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. I want you to understand this morning, we don't use sleight of hand and we don't use cunning uh, scare tactics to manipulate anyone to do anything. We're not into fear mongering here at Grace Church. But the Word does say to walk carefully and soberly and with godly fear. It was godly fear that moved Noah and godly fear can move us to an altar and move us to an ark, move us to safety and, and God willing even move us us to our very salvation today. And so I rise to ask you this morning, I want to ask you this morning to consider, I want to ask you this morning to consider the events that have unfolded in our world over the last 14 months. I want you to just do a mental sweep of the last 14 months. Have these world events instilled in you any sense of foreboding or any sense of sobering at all? Have they caused you to stop at any level? Young people, students, I fear sometimes you don't have a full context in which to evaluate these things. Have they caused you to stop and evaluate your life in light of the Word of God? Have you paused to consider where the world is and where it is headed on God's prophetic calendar? I submit today there should at least be a nudge, perhaps a healthy sense of uncertainty that things are not normal anymore and they're not going to return to normal anytime soon. There's one very sobering reality this morning. I didn't say it. Pastor didn't say it. The ministry team didn't say it. Jesus said it. For is in the days that were before the flood, that were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Thank you, Pastor, for mentioning this Wednesday night. As in the days of Noah so shall it be when Jesus returns. The violence, the sin, the immorality that gripped the world and grieved the heart of God in that day is so prolifically present in our day. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of Jesus. But there is, uh, I believe, Jesus is getting at even a more subtle sign of the time and perhaps even a more sobering truth in this statement that he makes. It's interesting to me that he mentions that they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Those things are not sins. Jesus said, talking to the Pharisees, he said, John the Baptist came fasting and you didn't like him. He said, I come eating and drinking and you don't like me. So if Jesus was eating and drinking, then that can't be a sin. Paul said marriage is honorable, so marriage can't be a sin. Jesus was not talking about sin right here in this statement. I believe what Jesus was saying 
is that in the days of Noah, there was a godless culture running rampant with sin. And it was met with a nonchalant shrug of the shoulder and a moving on in the day in and the day out of living. Jesus was saying that instead of taking pause and being wary of just how far from the purpose and purity of God we've slipped, that in the day in and the day out of lives continued, they never stopped long enough to consider that they were on a sinful path and that culture was heading headlong into judgment day. I believe that was the great sign of the time that Jesus was talking about. And so we get on social media and we get on streaming media and we see things happening before our eyes and we realize that it grieves the heart of God and we realize it's contrary to the word of God, but we just shrug our shoulders and we just go on with life and we say, well, I hope all things will work out and I hope, I hope it all comes to some kind of, of good and desired in and Jesus is saying in that day when you see that sign look up for your redemption draws nigh. Peter reminded us of this same thing and applied it in our day when he said, where is the promise of his coming? People would say, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. This is the great sin of our day. Farah mentioned to me just this week, Farah is a school teacher she said they're dealing with moral and lifestyle issues at her school among a fairly significant portion of students. And these are students that would be on the, lower, on the younger end, uh, beginning adolescence. They're dealing with moral and lifestyle issues this year at a much larger scale, on a much larger scale than they dealt with even this time last year. Ungodliness has become the new normal and it's happened so very fast. She told of one young man she heard of just a couple of days ago. That young man is in prison this morning for murder and he's bragging about it and he's wearing it as a badge of honor and he's proud of the fact that he's a murderer. Violence has overtaken us. I read an article this week in the Wall Street Journal written by a child psychologist that reported on parents' ongoing struggle to monitor and temper violent video games that children are using. She reported that $19 billion was spent on violent video games, not last year, not in the last two years, not in the last five years, $19 billion spent on video games in the fourth quarter of 2020 alone. And many of them are so violent that kids cannot distinguish between what is fact and what is fiction. And parents are grappling, trying to understand how to help their kids coach them through that and understand the harm and the danger in those video games. I'm telling you today, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Does it give us pause this morning? Does it, does it strike concern at our core that above all else I must be saved? I mentioned recently in a message the record-setting wildfires, the history book demolishing hurricane season, the dust cloud from the Sahara, not to mention the pandemic, political and social, social turmoil, economic issues, and now Russia and China are back on the, in the headlines conducting joint military exercises. Both countries prophetically will come against Israel at some point in time. Does it concern you that many of these events, many, so many of these events in the last 14 months have been described as, as um, they've been described variously as unprecedented or as a once in a thousand year event or a once in a lifetime event? 
I ask you this morning, how many more unprecedented things have to happen in such a short span of time for us to finally get the picture that the earth is groaning in anticipation of the soon return of Jesus Christ? How many unprecedented events have to transpire before we understand that we're not just living at the end of time, we're living at the end of the end of time? Hallelujah. Something, something must grip the church. Something must grip moms and dads. Something must grip grandparents. Something must grip our students and our children that say, God, I've got to build an ark to the saving of my household. Got to build an ark to the saving of my family. Got to build an ark to the saving of my soul. There's only one way out. There's only one message of hope, and it's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps this Sunday of all Sundays is a great day to understand that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the love of God that helps us to hear preaching from the Word of God like this that moves us to the building of an ark to the saving of our family. It's because of the amazing love of God that we have this opportunity today to come to this altar and make our calling and election sure. There is a twofold. There's a twofold meaning that we can glean from this passage in Hebrews. This fear that the writer says motivated Noah. To be sure, in one sense, it was a fear of what was coming to the earth. Fear of missing the ark. Fear of missing his ark. Fear of the flood that God promised would come. That drove him to make sure he did exactly what God said to do. He was mocked by those around him. He was ridiculed. He was scorned. Those that were too short-sighted to see the coming judgment thought Noah was crazy, but Noah built his ark anyway. And I want you to know today, and i got to thank Billy Thornton for this. We were talking the other day. He pointed out that that boat, that ark, had no steering mechanism. It had no rudder, had no steering wheel. Once those floodwaters rose, Noah had to have the confidence that he had built it just right for it to float and for God to take it and do with it exactly what God wanted to do. It was important that Noah build that ark exactly to specifications because once it started raining, it was in God's hand at that point. If God said to use Gopher wood, God meant gopher wood. If he said seal it with pitch, he meant seal it with pitch. He had to build that ark exactly right because once the door shut and once the floodwaters rose, it was too late to make any adjustments at that time. I want you to know the same is true today. There's only one way to get into the ark of safety. The scripture still says repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and be filled with the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues. There's no way around it. There's no other path. There's no other way. But we have to go by the plan of salvation. The Bible says, if this spirit dwells in you that also dwelled in Christ Jesus, then will he also quicken your mortal bodies and you will be raised on that day. There's only one way to enter the ark. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to know that when the rapture happens and when Jesus comes that you will be saved and that's obeying this great plan of salvation. But there's one other nuance and meaning to this idea of fear 
in the scripture. The Greek word used here and translated as fear is eulabethus. And it is only used two times in our New Testament. The other time is in Acts chapter 23 verse 10. Bible scholars feel like that the word means to act with caution, to be circumspect, to be afraid, and likely means to act out of fear of God. It is believed that this probably agrees most with the true sense of the word and with the rest of the context. Thus we could say Noah acted out of caution, reverence, respect of God, Or we might say he acted out of the fear of God. What is the fear of God this morning? We don't hear the fear of God preached about a lot anymore. Back in the the day we, we we were preached under fear a lot. I can remember a lot of times not being able to go to sleep at night. Being afraid of the rapture. Maybe, maybe even being afraid of God in some, in some sense. But I don't believe the fear of God is is that we look over our shoulder waiting for Him to come beat us over the head with a cosmic club or strike us with a divine lightning bolt because we've, we've made a mistake of some kind. I don't believe it's that kind of fear. The Bible gives us a definition of the fear of God in Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 when the wise man wrote and said, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And this really was the issue in Noah's day, as Jesus mentioned and I've already alluded to. The issue of Noah's day is no one feared the Lord. In that, no one hated evil. They had accepted evil as the new norm. It was business as usual. They assumed that the way things were were the right paths and that if everybody was doing it, it must be okay and, and, and that it was the new normal and so we will just go with it. But Noah, the Bible says, was moved because he feared God and he hated evil and thus he built an ark. I'm preaching to a generation of students today and I want you to get this point. You need to rise up today and with everything in you, you need to tell the enemy you've come too far. You need to let the enemy know that we will not call evil good and good evil. You need to let the enemy know we reject these doctrines of devils that are passed off as some kind of new normal that you're asking us to accept. And you need to say we will not live contrary to the Word of God. Why? Because we fear God and we hate evil. I don't care what they put on social media. I don't care what's on your streaming media. I don't care who's doing what. The Bible still says God hates it. The Bible still says it's an abomination to God. And we need to have a clear line that says, I will not buy in to the lies of the enemy. Would you clap your hands to Jesus? I want you to know, I want you to know there's always been a difference between God's people and the rest of the world. I want you to know there's always been a separation between God's people and what's going on with the world. The danger in our day is that it is so accessible and it's become so normal and it's become so status quo that we can be lulled into a sense that it's okay. And even if we don't do it and and we don't participate in it, we we, we reach this place where we implicitly just, just let it go and don't deny it and say, well, 
that's just, that's okay for them. And that's, that's okay for them. I want you to know, young people, it's not okay. If it's contrary to the Word of God, if it's at right angles with what thus saith the world, with the Word, it's not going to get you to heaven. And in fact, it might send you in the other direction. You need to live holy and righteously and soberly in this present world, denying ungodliness, dying, denying filthiness of the flesh and all uncleanness. Let us walk soberly. Let us walk close to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So today, the, the, our ark, the ark, the old timers used to call it the ark of safety. The old, old timers, I've heard it referred to as the ark of safety. Our ark, our ark of safety is the church. And more specifically, it is a relationship with God being filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in His name, living holy and consecrated unto Him. That's the only way out. There, that's the only way to, to be saved in this life and, or, or in the life to come. I'm closing this morning. Musicians, if you want to make your way, we'll give you an opportunity to pray here momentarily. Elena told me just this week, she said, Dad, I, I love those, those altar services like, where we just linger and time slips away and we have profound moves of God. And we've been having those here lately at Grace Church and we're going to have an opportunity to have another one here in just a moment. In 2004, on the day after Christmas, a 9.1 magnitude earthquake, one of the largest ever recorded, ripped through a 900 mile Stretch of fault line, 31 miles under the Indian Ocean. The quake lasted for 10 minutes and it propelled a massive column of water on unsuspecting shores. The, the resulting tsunami would be the worst in history, claiming 230,000 lives in a matter of hours. As rescuers picked their way through the rubble in the wake of that disaster, they noticed something very unusual. There were no dead animals. There were no carcasses, no remains of any kind. Rabbi, uh, Ravi Correa, president of the Sri Lankan Wildlife Conservation Society, which is based in New Jersey, was in Sri Lanka the day the massive wave struck. Afterwards, he traveled to Patanagala Beach inside Yala National Park. Yala National Park is a 500 square mile wildlife reserve and it's home to a variety of animals, including elephants, leopards, and over 130 species of birds. He traveled to that national park. It was one of the worst hit areas of the tsunami. Korea did not see any animal carcasses, nor did the park personnel know of any other than two water buffalo that had died. Along India's Kudalore coast, where thousands of people perished, the Indo-Asian News Service reported that buffalo, goats, and dogs were found unharmed. It is also reported that flamingos that breed that time of year at the Point Calamir Wildlife Sanctuary flew to higher ground before the tsunami hit. In addition, there were eyewitness accounts that just prior to that tsunami, Elephants were observed screaming and running for higher ground. One man reported that his dogs refused to go outdoors for their daily walk, something that they usually look forward to. 
It was reported that zoo animals rushed into their shelters and could not be made to come out. What was going on with these animals? It is believed that these animals with a sixth sense that is hardly understood by scientists realized that a seismic shifting of the earth was happening. Perhaps they felt a distant rumble. Maybe they heard a distant sound. But whatever it was, they had an instinct that told them destruction was on the way. They felt a change in the atmosphere. They heard a distant warning. And just prior to cataclysmic disaster that was unleashed upon an unsuspecting world, these animals ran to safety and were saved from imminent death. I ask you to stand this morning. I want you to know there's a distant rumble in the spirit today. I want you to know these events that have happened, we've characterized them different ways and we've tried to make sense out of them over the last 14 months, but I want you to know they signal a shifting in the prophetic time clock. I want you to know they signify that Jesus is soon to come. And today, we have an opportunity to run to safety. The psalmist said in 85.9, he said, Salvation is nigh to them that fear Him. I want you to know that godly fear, that godly sorrow can lead you to an altar this morning. It can lead you to a place of repentance. It can lead you to a place of safety where God can restore you and restore salvation. We've been preaching over the last year that the church is going to weather this storm and we're going to be okay and God's still going to have a church. All of that is very true and that hasn't changed and I hope to preach some more about that soon. But the key to the whole thing is that you got to be in the church. If you're going to survive the storm, you got to be in the ark. If you're going to ride out the floodwaters, you've got to be in a safe place. So today as they begin to sing, we have another opportunity. The church is still praying. The cross is still there. Jesus is still calling. The love of God is still being extended. And you have a window of opportunity this morning to make your calling and election sure. You have an opportunity this morning to say, you know what, if Jesus does come back today, I'll be all right. I'll be saved. I'll, I will have outrun that tsunami and move to my safe place. But you need to come to the altar and make it right today. You need to come to the altar and pour out your heart today. Hallelujah. 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 As they sing, would you come? Would you come to the altar of safety? Would you come to that place of safety today? Would you come? Pour out your heart to the Lord. That's it. Come on, students, young people, young adults, moms, dads, anybody that feels a burden, anybody that feels a need to pray, would you come? Would you come? Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, students. Today is an opportunity. Today is a, is a chance to be in the ark of safety. Come on, let's head in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 I wouldn't hesitate. I wouldn't hesitate. I would be 
Bird.